Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. The wrath of God. Good gracious. What a topic. Don't worry, I'm not going to go Baptist or street preacher too much on you. But today seems like a good day as any to talk about this big topic. Proverbs 29 verse 8 says, Scoffers set a city of flame, but wise men turn away wrath. In our previous episode, we talked about repentance and the healing ministry of Jesus and what that reveals about the will of God. We talked about the echo back to the fall of what we're falling from and what we're trying to scramble towards. And this confusing milieu, this predicament that Satan had put us into in this problem of ascension, how do we get back to an even keel to where we were with God before he tempted us to actually follow him, Satan, the anti-God figure instead. What we witness in that, of course, is this hyperheadship, this abuse of authority that's trying to climb up and insurrect God and failing at that came down and infiltrated our system. Now, what is our system? If you talk about mirroring and if you talk about the identity of Jesus, we know, and I talk about this a lot in my books and in these episodes, Jesus is the son of God and the son of man, and he identified as the empathetic high priest forever. And what's interesting about that is he could have gotten away with just being a high priest, a son of God. Could he not? He could have gotten away with just being the word of truth, fully embodied. He could have gotten away with just being perfect, sinless. But John 3.16 and 1 John 3 and 4 talk a lot about the love of God and how that is the difference maker. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with judgment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. That's from 1 John 4, verse 18 to 19. So we have these big topics and paring them down to the wrath of God. Where does that even fit? Well, it seems like we live in wrathful times, incensed times of giving and receiving offense that my identity or your identity or our situation or our suffering and a denial of what has happened, a denial, a lack of repentance of our history as a country in the United States, for example, a lack of sensitivity or compassion toward one another, this quick grab, this quick arguing, this quick post of disinformation or commenting as a troll, as it were, arguing on social media. We have all of this fast, fast, fast communication and I talk about this in other episodes as well, that is really just wrathful, giving and receiving offense as if we have the right to be indignant. Now, I don't know if you've heard the phrase a mother's right to be indignant, and I use it sometimes, and it is quite true. There are things in this world that righteous anger has its place, and righteous anger for people comes from the wrath of God. It's a rightful wrath, whereas the wrath of man giving and receiving offense is different. Now, in my books, I talk a lot about proper headship of worship of the Lordship of Christ, of our behavior, of pro proper practice, of our relationship as a church, 
versus relying, for example, on government to do church for us or make our environment safe enough for church. I go into that. In the previous episode, we talked about the decentering, the putting off of the confusion of that first temptation that Satan gave was to throw Adam and Eve off their game, to make them confused and off balance. And we see that happening today with the church. It seems off balance. There's this confusion about even its role and who is its head. We have this almost heresy of political leaders that are to be our head and they're supposed to do the job of church for us in this country, in the United States, or our group is supposed to be religious in a certain way and it can only look a certain way and there's only a certain kind of morality or a certain kind of hospitality. And if you don't fit into that cup, then you don't belong. There's this real sense We've lost that slower pace of the walks with God and each other in the cool of the garden at the end of the day, as was in the Garden of Eden, as described in Genesis 1-3. to Now, the Apostle Paul didn't mince words in the book of Romans in chapters 1 and 2. He goes over the wrath of God, and we see that take place also in Revelation and in the vision of the return of Christ and all the events that will proceed. Well, we want to know, what is God angry about? Certainly, we don't need to reduce anger. We know how challenging of an emotion it can be for us as humans. Samson is a ripe example for that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would rush in a rage and accomplish all these great feats of strength. But then that would end up being his downfall. People want to blame Delilah and his relationship with a woman, and he didn't seem to choose very wisely on that. He would get angry about what happened to the different woman in his life and misuse his gift. But the point is, is as humans, we're not fully able to contain all these amazing emotions that God had given us. Romans 2 says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, who... You who judge others practice those same things. Jesus spoke of this too when he said in the book of Matthew to not judge one another because the idea was is we're practicing those same things. And later on in the letters to the churches, we see advice for church accountability and safety structures that go into this due process to, you know, first take the, the log out of your own eye and before you go to the speck in your brothers, have some self-review and bring witnesses and have these conversations in a certain process, a certain step, so that we're not sinning against one another in even our righteous judgments. This is all because we are not very good at being wrathful. Eternal God can save his day of wrath for a day. The scriptures talk about it as a day. You know, the anger of God is something we think about. And when you look at the the Old Testament, especially the prophets, you see these prophets doing these frustrating, um, hurtful, living in hurtful, frustrating times and having to do these seemingly bizarre things like in the book of Ezekiel, but usually being scoffed at by the kings and who would get hundreds of prophets that would just say what they wanted to hear instead of the truth that they needed. And that's an interesting phenomenon, how we try to dodge wrath. We end up just displacing it and moving it around and inflicting it on other people who aren't doing us any wrong. They're trying to help us. Any of us have needed to do some kind of intervention with someone we love know how this can be sensitive in a challenging 
experience. The wrath of God is meant to right what was wrong. It's meant to, as Jesus said in the woe to the Pharisees, you're preventing people from entering the kingdom. You're hurting people. You're following all the rules and burdening people with rules, but you're not wanting the healing for them. When you look at the Pharisees, they were incensed at Jesus. They were wrathful at him. They were so offended. I'm offended that you're offended was almost the conversation because he would go heal people and then they'd get mad instead of be happy for that person. Have you ever wondered about that? The barometer of your wrath, you can know based on whether or not you're happy that someone is healed or doing better or successful, or whether you're resentful or embittered or wrathful at them for some reason, whether or not they did something to you to justify that. And even if they did, trying to hold and contain that only, the scripture says, leads to this poison of bitterness in our lives that poisons a sweet well. So again, we're not very good at wheeling and dealing with this wrath of God in our own lives. What we see today is this quick wrathfulness. And I talk in previous episodes about the confirmation bias. I talk about terror management theory. I go into different ideas about why this is so and why there's intergroup violence and why we're so quick to cut off. Again, First John talks about perfect love casting out fear. Now, what does fear have to do with? This verse says it has to do with judgment. And what's the judgment we experience? We experience being separated from God and even each other, even in the most ideal relationship with someone you love, one day we will die. And that is so tragic and heartbreaking. And it's almost like This wrath is trying to speed us up away from feeling the slower feelings of sorrow and lament and the slower work of compassion and amending and repair and the daily little things, the willingness to feel or be more humble that I'm doing this slow kindness to my neighbor, I'm waving, I'm saying hello, I'm talking to them every day, we're sharing meals at church, we're doing this, that, and the other, we're ministering, and we're planning what? Wrath? Big kabooms? Big blasts? No, we're planting seeds. This tiny, tiny work in our life is planting seeds. And that's a slower work. Scripture says, be slow to anger, slow to speak, and quick to listen. That is so hard Because it's as if Satan put his indignation, his unrighteous indignation on us that we, in believing some of his lies, end up adopting this right to be offended. And that justification center sits so very, very closely to the violence center of the human mind and the human behavior and the human hand and what we can do to one another when we feel indignant. All the wars in human history, someone felt indignant and they built a whole philosophy on it. They would write books about it and it would take time. It would take a decade or so. It came out of the sense of resentment or I don't have what they have or we're trying to recover from this war and it's not working or these other political powers, they come and invade our country. They want our stuff and now they're making these rules and we don't know who to trust anymore. And there's this sense of wrath that it's almost an effort to climb out of this 
pit that we're in. But it won't work. It will only make it worse. When Jesus was on the cross, he did some amazing things. He did a few things. He actually did at least four. He did a healing ministry for his mom by making a surrogate relationship where his best friend John would adopt her and take her into his home and family that very day. He saved the one thief. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He validated his belief and gave him hope for the future, even though he was at his end of his life. He asked God. He talked to God directly. Have you ever been in a situation where you're incensed at someone and you talk about them? Oh, that happens so much. Jealousy, offense of gossip. It is like this tasty morsel is what the book of Proverbs calls it. But Jesus didn't do that. He talked to God directly. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did I do to deserve this? He could have responded with indignation. But you know what? When you're suffering and you're in so much pain like he was on the cross, like I can't even imagine he was in, it is not easy to even feel much of anything, let alone have the energy to be mad. But he took the time to ask God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the situation to the source, the one source that could be the difference maker. And then he also said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He could have even said that. Who's the them, right? Was it the Pharisees? Was it Pontius Pilate? Was it the what they symbolize, the religious elite, the political indifference, the right to be indignant of the mob who was scoffing and mocking at him, Satan and his demons who were mocking him also. And it says that what? Jesus actually made a spectacle of them. And what's interesting is he wasn't on the cross rebuking all of them, telling them all what they were doing wrong. How dare you kill me? How dare you make fun of me? This is so painful. Why won't you listen? Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to convince someone that they're hurting you and to please stop? There's this huge boundary violation. Well, it's not going to work. His disciples, many of them, most of them, abandoned him for fear for themselves. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. They didn't have the kind of boldness we would see in the book of Acts and in other places in the New Testament. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It wasn't what they feel or who they are. It wasn't anything. It's what they do. So we can feel all kinds of ways Sunday, but it's what we do with that emotion that makes a difference. Do we take it to God? Do we maintain a posture, a willingness, a desire at least to forgive, a desire to move forward. I think of forgiveness as forward. Do we look out for the best and remember those who did invest in us and who loved us? Do we look out for them and remember them and care for them? Do we focus our energies on the moment or are we too busy overextending ourselves, trying to correct everybody and fix everything. I'm guilty of this sometimes and wanting to do so many things and to fulfill this vision, but it needs to be scheduled out. And there needs, again, to be a slower pace to that and a restorative pace as well, where we refill and refuel and replenish our margins. So we're not spreading ourselves so thin in all of our causes to remember what am I going to be doing and what do I want to be doing with my time 
instead of this? What ideally would I be doing? Jesus' ideal probably wasn't the cross, but he was on mission. His ideal was to follow the will of God wherever it took him. So if we're doing the work, what work are we doing? What work are we doing? Are we doing the work of wrath? Are we doing the work of being swept away with the crowd and the current of our time? Or are we trying to calm our city, whatever our city is, whatever empire in our life, whether it's ourself, because we can only show up with who we are and how we are doing. Our success is often limited by whatever challenges we may be bringing, but even there, there's the grace of God, the grace of God instead of the wrath of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a free gift of God, not of works, again, self-righteousness, so we can boast. See, God isn't offering ascension. He's offering something else. What do you think it is? What do you think God is offering? In, somewhere in between wrath and grace. Where are you on that? And what do you think he's offering you in this message? What's standing out to you? What is one person or situation or feeling or experience or thought is coming to your mind as you're listening to these words? What is something that you need the grace of God to speak to and apply a salve over? Where do we need to slow down? Even in podcasting and other social media, the speech has just sped up. And in this episode, it's going fast. I'm trying to cap it at 15 minutes each and, and it's not working. So we're doing the pauses and we're told to eliminate the pregnant pauses. Well, that sounds horrible. We don't want to eliminate the pregnant pauses. We need those pauses in our life to birth something new and to savor and to rest and to again build our margins. So where are you thinking in your life would help you to slow down? Do you really like social media and it, you know, you've got your business on there? What brand are you spreading in the compartments of your personal versus your professional or business profiles? Where is the integration piece? Where is the grace of God and redeeming that space? Where can you slow it down? What can you abstain from? And what can the designers of these tools or another tool think of to offer a more gracious space that's designed for slowing conversation down, that's designed for showing grace, that's designed for the invitation? Because at the end of the day, Jesus was offering an invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers, I will come in and fellowship with him. Fellowship is a slow work, y'all. It's not a fast, high and dry kind of experience. It takes time to build trust and rapport. And the tragedy, of course, is our lifespans on average are much shorter than what we really need to start enjoying the fruit of that work. It would seem, you know, it would seem that we need so much more time to get better. But the scriptures say, you know, actually not. The generations had gotten worse, and so God cut the years short to try to reduce the harm of that. Then we enter Jesus, who offers eternal life. This whole idea of eternity, that God put eternity in our hearts, and we really couldn't contain it, just like the wrath of God and all the other big things, the big imprints of God, that we once just walked with Him in the cool of the day, in the quiet, slowing down, 
We once walked with him in that way. And we were who we were in God and images of each other. And we had our role to just take care of this garden and to name the animals and to have and raise children. That was a simple life. That's a almost longing that I hear from so many people, even in myself. When can I just scale back from all of this hustle and bustle, this busyness of my goals or this career or this ministry even? Where's that space and what would you be doing with your time if you weren't trying to save the world, (laughs) whether through the wrath of God or the grace of God? What would we be doing with our time with each other and with God? What would that look like? And how can you take a little piece of that today and start doing it now and even be intentional by putting it in your calendar by say, oh, I want to play with my child more or children more. Okay, what's the time of day that you're going to put in your calendar? And then what does that do to the other events of your day? Do you need to get out of your meeting and say, I have a hard stop here and actually do that? I'm notorious for saying I have a hard stop. And unfortunately, I am the kind of person that I want to stay longer because I want to keep helping and I want to keep connecting. And this is a boundary. We all have different quirks that we need to sort of learn and shore up in our improvements. But for coaching, we bring these big concepts down and we put them down to something practical. So what's one thing that you can even schedule today for the week, for the month, you know, try 20 days and see what happens. And then schedule at the end of that, a review session with your coach, whether it's me or someone else or someone in your life that you trust that is proven themselves to be good at listening and encouraging you, not telling you what to do, but helping you along your way. And how can we live more graciously? I believe that in this era, we are currently in pandemia, that one of the missions of the church is to slow it down and calm the anger down, not participate in it, We have Christ, the risen Savior. There's nothing else we need to prove our case except for our own transformation, our own life that's living by those principles, living by the calling that He has for us. If we're busy doing the work of that and doing it in a more gracious way and speaking a calmer, slower way of addressing these challenges we find ourselves in, We might even just save a city or a country or a family or a person or ourselves and our own peace of mind and sanity. Proverbs speaks to that. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you call us to your grace. Please let us live in that grace more. I know I need to do that being a driven person in recovery. Lord, I pray that you help us to slow our pace and be intentional. Show us the one thing we can do to live a more gracious life. And we pray for success of these words and more people behind them, Lord, to slow things down, even in our country and in our world, so that the incensed rage doesn't hurt people more than it already has, and that we can come to our senses And we just rebuke the work of the enemy to bring about that confusion and discord and hatred and strife 
and violence, and we pray for your healing, your peace, your forgiveness, and that you give us the connections with one another that we need as a family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.